Well, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're in the mobile office. Uh, we have no power still at Morgan's Baptist Church, and so as I seek out a place to be able to broadcast to you, I, I really only found the van as a good option today to be able to bring to you this, this blessing of the Word of God, but this is a testimony to the blessing that God provides in that uh, in this mobile office here, we still bring you the, the scriptures daily. So this will not be overcome by that old devil, but we will kick him in the can and we'll keep on going. So praise God. Let us turn to the Lord in prayer and then we'll begin in Luke chapter number nine as we start. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the blessing of this day. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you have done. We thank you, Father, for the provision of of the gas that keeps the van running so I can stay warm. And we thank you for the provision of of the van for, for an office to literally be able to set up and, and broadcast from, that your word can be spoken from anywhere in the world and that your word will not return to you void, but that will make an effectual work happen in our hearts that we may be able to rejoice in Jesus this day. So bless us, Lord, as we have come together. And bless this time to to our hearts that we may be settled in Christ and assured of our salvation in our walk with the Lord. Thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, guys, we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday. Praise God. We were able to come together and, and rejoice in the Lord as we, we met uh, in my house <laughs> On the preacher or at Morgan's Baptist Church, and uh, due to the fact that the church has no power, so amen, uh, no power as concerned in electricity, but plenty of power in Christ. And so we we look to the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to keep me on track. In Luke chapter number nine, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse number fifty-one. And this is a really exciting time. The scripture goes down, and we'll read from Luke 51 down to uh, the end of the chapter. Well, till 56, the scripture says, And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. They did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, will you allow us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them as Elijah did? But Jesus turned to them and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. <laughs> very important points that are made in these scriptures today. It's very important that we understand of, the, of our own personal lives, the way in which we connect with the faith, the way in which we connect with communities, with each other, and with Jesus. And this is another section of relational scriptures and Jesus revealing to the disciples that, that inside of every disciple, inside of every Christian, there is a, a potential devil lurking. Now, the reason why I say this is because of what, what is said by James and John. Now, keep in mind, these two are brothers. 
They're known as sons of Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. Uh, they were a part of the original crew that Jesus picked up when he went out into Peter's boat. Remember, it was Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and then a group of other fishermen besides when they initially were called into the ministry. So these guys are with Jesus a, a long time, and they have been with Jesus a long time, I should say. And so James and John is pretty interesting, the way in which they connect or relate to this particular situation. So the point being is that Jesus is en route to Jerusalem. His, he knows that his time is up, so to speak. He knows that, that it, he's going to die. He's already testified to the disciples, if you remember back on Friday, but the disciples didn't understand what he was saying as concerning being taken captive and, and being killed and in three days being raised up by the Lord. So he knows that his time is, is ready. As it says in verse number 51, it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He set his face steadfastly to go to Jerusalem. So he already knows what he's got to do. It's not like he's interested in having it happen to him, but it doesn't mean that he isn't aware. He already knows what he has to do. And so he's making preparation to be able to go to Jerusalem. Well, in his route from the area of Galilee, where he'd been doing a great amount of ministry, he's moving to the capital as he sends his, descends his way down to Jerusalem. And the capital of Galilee, this area would be Samaria. Now, the Samaritan people, if you remember the conversation that took place in John chapter number four, Jesus meets with a Samaritan woman there at the well, and, and she, she explains to Jesus, assuming that he doesn't know the people with whom he's come into contact with, that Jews and Samaritans, the people of Jerusalem, I should say, as Jews, and the Samaritans are people that the Jews believe to be a half-breed, that Jews believe to be uh, anti-Jewish or anti-faith uh, anti in God because of the separation that took place about a, hundreds of years ago, if not a thousand years ago, uh, between Jeroboam and Rehoboam and the splitting of, of the kingdom of Israel into two separate kingdoms of Judah and Ephraim. Uh, so the Jews always carried disdain for the people of Samaria. And, and the woman at the well in John chapter number four, she said, uh, I, I don't think you're, you've been around here before. She said, don't you know that you Jews don't have any dealings with us Samaritans? So we, we can't really have this, this conversation or fellowship. And this is the kind of mindset that you see as Jesus comes walking into Samaria because the people knew that he wasn't there for them, but was, was set to go to Jerusalem. That's what it reveals down in verse number 53. It says, because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. In other words, he wasn't coming there to stay there. He was coming there just to rest a moment to be able to go on because his plan is to be in Jerusalem. As he sent messengers, verse number 52, as he sent messengers before him to be able to speak to the people so that they would be ready for him when he came, and, and these villagers, they said, no, we don't want Jesus. If, if he's not coming for us, then we're not interested in him. We don't want Jesus. And so 
as they did not receive him, revealed in verse number 53, there was this tension, this challenge that Jesus faced as, as having this journey to make but not being received in this particular village to be able to refresh himself. And this really upset James and John. Now, rightfully so, we could understand where James and John would be upset because this is a direct challenge to their master. I mean, this village of Samaria is, is rejecting the Messiah. They're rejecting Jesus. And of course, when we're dealing with people maybe on the job site or we're dealing with people in our community or we're sharing the gospel with someone at the coffee shop or we're we're trying to share the gospel with family members or we're trying to share the gospel with with uh, folks around us and they reject us they they tell us we don't you know the people say well we don't want to hear that garbage or oh you're just one of those religious nuts or that there's so many different ways that we may very well have experienced rejection i can promise you if if no one else, I could tell you a, a multitude of stories about being rejected because of the message that I'm trying to share. And in fact, people thinking that you're trying to hate them because you're sharing the gospel to them instead of recognizing the love of God, they only hear the, the, the challenge against their sin nature and they think that you're hating them and so they reject you all the more. Well, the reality behind all of this is, is that, that Jesus, when these messengers came to the city of Samaria and when they were said, when it was said to them, rather, you know, the master is coming, make, make way, they said, forget that, tell your master to take a hike. And, and it so upset James and John, listen to what they had to say, because this is the truth behind us as well. So James and John the disciples, they, they're speaking to Jesus. I got to read this in a, in, in a comical language here. Verse number 54, when his disciples, James and John, saw that, that they had been rejected, that Jesus had not been received, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> do you want us to just burn them up? And, and, it's so funny, I, I laugh at that, uh, because it's, it's a very powerful statement that these guys are making. First, they believe themselves to be capable, like Elijah, of being able to call down fire from heaven against their enemies. But that's not how Elijah worked at all. Uh, it, what I read just now, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? I read from the English Standard Version, but I want you to pay very close attention to the version you're looking at right now. You might have an ESV, you might have an NIV, you might have a CSV, you might, you might have one of these different translations. But what you're about to discover is, is you're, you're losing a lot of information by this translation. As it is written in the ESV right now, it just says, when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Then it stops and it says in verse number 55, but he turned and rebuked him. Then it stops and it goes to verse number 56. They went on to another village. So what you're about to discover from this translation and possibly the translation you're looking at right now is that there's a lot of information that is left out that defines all of what's being said at this moment. So I'm going to call you back to my precious old King James Bible and we're going to look at this from the perspective of King James Look at the difference of what these guys had to say. 
the disciples James and John saw this. They said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? This is what you, you had left out in the modern translation, even as Elijah did. Now, the reference that these disciples are making here is the very power that God presented to Elijah by that challenge that Elijah gave to the prophets of Baal that followed Jezebel. Remember that, that challenge that went out with Elijah calling the 400 plus prophets of Baal to call upon their God to bring fire down from heaven and consume the altar that they had built. And likewise, Elijah would call fire down from the Holy Lord God of heaven to consume the, the offering on the altar. And whichever God or gods provided the fire from heaven, that would be the, the one or ones to whom Israel will follow. Needless to say, that the, the story goes on from Elijah that all day long the prophets of Baal did everything they could to try and elicit fire from heaven from their gods, but they were only proven to be false. And when it came time that Elijah would call upon the Lord to send fire down from heaven, he was instructed by the Lord to douse the, the offering, douse the, the altar, make a make a hedge around the altar, douse the, the the hedge that was made full of water. I mean, there's no possible way that this thing could possibly catch on fire, much less uh, the, the sacrifice be burned. But after Elijah did all of this, the Lord sent down a fire from heaven that, that completely consumed the sacrifice. It, it consumed the rocks that built the altar. It totally just evaporated the water. I mean, it was a fire of God. And so the 450 prophets of Baal were slain by Israel as recognizing that, that they, their gods and what they were teaching in their religion was false compared to the only true and living God, which is Yahweh. So this is a situation where these people of Samaria had rejected the only hope of life that was presented to them. They had rejected the, the very Messiah, the very God incarnate in the flesh. And, and James and John, they, they believed this. They knew that their rejection of Jesus was a rejection of God himself. And just like the prophets of Baal, these guys with an anger against this people of Samaria and these guys with an anger against what is considered their enemies, for Jesus would also teach that those who are not for us are against us and, and that that they are with at enmity or enemies with God. And so James and John, seeing this people as enemies instead of people in need of salvation, they, they set their heart against them. And so as they remember that Elijah called down fire and, and, and Moses even, I mean, they didn't talk about Moses, but they remembered Elijah and the fire, but Moses uh, with the commandments as, as he would stand against Dathan and Korah, who, who would be trying to lead the people to dance around the golden calf back in the, into the religious activities of Egypt while Moses was on the mountain. If you recall, Moses said, those who stand with the Lord, separate yourselves unto me. And, and the people that, that came and separated themselves unto the Lord, separated themselves onto the rock. But then the ground opened up underneath all the rest of the people and, and swallowed them that day. And so 
you know, there were a couple of occasions where God did a mighty work, uh, such as Sodom and Gomorrah, that would completely reject the, the message of God and reject the messengers of God. And so fire and brimstone would come down from heaven and completely consume the cities entirely. And those that looked back would find themselves pillars of salt, just, just as Lot's wife. So it's interesting when James and John, they have this information from, from the scriptures. They understand the Old Testament, what's being said here. And so they set their hearts against this people as, as believing that it is somehow their duty because Jesus was rejected to destroy this people when in fact it isn't. And so uh, as we look back to those modern translations, the scripture says, but he turned and rebuked them. But it stops there in the modern translations. But now we're going to get more sense of what is actually happening in the scriptures from the good old King James, which, by the way, is why I use the King James as a, a book for study, but also as as just the, the translation from my own personal life is because it's so full of everything that the other ones aren't. Just saying. Uh, I don't pick on anybody for using any other translations. God bless you. And, and certainly we can have the conversation through, you know, through the translations. But always, uh, I, I just love this old King James because of the richness of its content and the, and the fact that it just has everything in it, whereas others, as you're discovering right now, don't have this. So where the other translations would say, but he turned and rebuked them, then they stop. They put a period there. The King James has a comma because it explains the rebuke that is given. It says, and Jesus said, you know not what manner of spirit you are of. Now, this is vitally important because it's dealing with the spirit of God. And the spirit of God is recognized from the fire that came down from heaven to consume the altar of Elijah as understanding that the purpose behind that fire was to reveal God's presence to the people to call their heart back to the Lord. This is not a situation where James and John are trying to reveal God's presence to call their hearts back to the Lord. This is a situation where James and John are going to use the fire of God as a destructive measure to kill people. That's their goal. They're trying to kill people. And that's never Jesus' plan. Jesus didn't come, as he's about to say, Jesus didn't come to destroy the world. Jesus came to save the world. It would be counterproductive for him to kill all of these people simply because they've rejected him. As we understand also in the Gospel of John in chapter number 12, beginning in verse number 46 and working to verse number 50, Jesus said, if they reject me and do not receive my words, they have one that judges them, the very word which I have spoken, the same shall judge them in the last day. So this isn't a matter where Jesus is trying to establish judgment against these people to destroy them, but that he would leave them alive for the hope of the gospel coming to them at a later point and, and trying to, to win their souls. It's very important to understand that. But James and John didn't see that. James and John were so infuriated they were so angry with the fact that that these people would reject their lord that they just wanted them dead now this is where we're guilty of of having a heart of flesh even though we're called to follow jesus by the spirit oftentimes we've been angry with 
our brethren in the church. Oftentimes we've been angry with our pastor. Oftentimes your pastor's been angry with you, make no mistake. Oftentimes we, we are in this flesh and we struggle with this flesh and the desires of it. And anger is, is an expression that God actually had given mankind to be able to warn them of, of entering into sin and to be able to cause a, a reaction of people coming together to discuss the matter so that a resolution could occur, so that restoration could happen. But that's not the way that sin works in us, and that's not the way that anger works upon us. When we get angry, we lock up, we hide within, and we hold something against another, and that is the very sin nature that we have in us. And, and this is revealed by James and John here in verse number 54 because they just wanted these people dead. They said, look, if they're not going to receive us and they're going to treat us this way, how about we just kill them? How about, how about we just end them? Uh, with with fire, a pillar of fire, we can consume them. Come on, Jesus, let's just take them out. <laughs> Jesus spoke to them in verse number 56. Uh, all you have in the modern translation, by the way, in verse number 56 is, and they went to another village. But as concerning the discourse of what Jesus said in 55, you don't know what manner of spirit you are of. Verse number 56 defines that. And it's written in red, by the way. I don't know why they left it out. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Now, as Jesus would say of the disciples right here, you don't know what manner of spirit you're of. What he's revealing right now is he's saying within every single one of you watching this and within me and within every human being in the world, there is a spirit of evil that exists in there. Now, that evil that exists in there has, has been born into that body. It, it came when you were conceived. It came in the, in the manner of sin as you were conceived in iniquity and in sin you were born. And so it wasn't until the time of your salvation that the Holy Spirit moved in and gave you a brand new way of living, a brand new way of seeing, a brand new way of hearing, of thinking, of of working, of walking, everything becomes new as the old things pass away because of salvation and the transformation of the renewed mind. But make no mistake that the spirit of the old nature still exists within that body, which is why even though with our heart we desire to serve the Lord, oftentimes we catch ourselves falling backward into sin. And we, we, we find ourselves continuing in sin so that we live a life of regular repentance because we acknowledge that indeed the, the Spirit within us, the Holy Spirit within us is very willing to, to serve the Lord through us, but the flesh is weak and it succumbs to the old spirit and old nature that we have within us. And, and that would give rise to Paul as he would speak and say, uh, the things that I want to do often I find are the things that I don't do, and the things that I know I shouldn't be doing are often the things I discover myself doing all the time. O oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And so it is written that James and John here are, are dead set about these people because of how against the Lord they are. They just say, well, 
let's just get rid of them. Let's kill them and get done with this. But God rebuked them. Jesus rebuked them. He said, no, that's not how my kingdom works. Jesus said, you don't understand the spirit inside of you. For though you follow me, yet still you are so wicked. Doesn't that testify to us today? Though we follow him, yet we are still so wicked. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Jesus would speak through Paul as the Spirit testified. So as Jesus taught them and said that he had come to save men and we're not going to kill these people, praise God, that we would find in this village that uh, Jesus would just go on and verse 56 press forward to another village. Now, moving forward to the end of the chapter, we read from Luke chapter 9, verse 57 down to 62. And the scripture goes forward to say, It came to pass that as they went in, in the way, a certain man said unto them, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Okay, let's see what happens there. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have, have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go bid them farewell which are at my house. And Jesus said to him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. I think that this is a, a fantastic section of Scripture. Uh, one person we find speaks to Jesus. Jesus speaks to another person. And, and a third person within the crowd hears what Jesus said and, and then speaks up on his own volition. So let's take a look at these guys real quick. Grab a cup of coffee here from Tasty Coffee House. In this first place, in, in Luke chapter number 9, in verse number 57, says, It came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, this guy seems steadfast about serving the Lord. So he says, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. Now, so many people have, have professed this in their lives. So many people at church, they've gotten caught up in it emotionally by a moment, by a pastor's preaching. They've gotten so thrilled about, about a missionary's example as they come to the church. They've gotten so thrilled about, about an evangelist that is, that is preaching that they, they get so fired up in a message that they just run down to the altar and they say, all right, I'm ready to serve God. Wherever he wants me to go, praise God, I'm going to go. <laughs> that's, that's like this guy in verse number 57. He's like, I'm ready to go, Lord. You just point the way and I'm on it. And, and Jesus explains to this guy, Basically speaking, if you follow me, you better be prepared to not have a home. You better be prepared to not have a family, to not have uh, anywhere to even rest your head. You better be prepared to give up everything because that may be what the requirement of the service calls for. And so Jesus said, foxes have holes. 
In other words, they've got a place to rest their head. They've got a shelter from the storm. They've got, they've got a covering for them. The birds of the air have their nests. But listen up, son. <laughs> the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now think about that one for a second. This guy is so fired up from a message he's heard or from the miracles he's seen or from, from the people around him who are fired up about this Jesus. And so he comes and he says, I'm ready to go, Jesus. I'll, I'll go anywhere you tell me. I've seen this happen so many times before. And Jesus will always provide this warning. He'll always say, well, you know, you, you really got to be ready for, for what you're saying because what you're testifying to is you're ready to uh, go wherever I tell you to go, be wherever I tell you to be, do whatever I tell you to do, live however I, I cause you to live, suffer if, if suffering is necessary, and struggle if struggle is necessary. And through all of the midst of the trials that you'll face, to remain faithful to me and to me only the rest of your life. Sounds kind of interesting, doesn't it? But that's exactly what Jesus is pointing out to this young man. The Son of Man, the very King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, doesn't even have a home to be able to lay his head. Now, as you make it to verse number 59, you see that he said, Jesus now is speaking to someone else, and Jesus tells this person, follow me. Now, the first guy that you find in 57 is most likely, can't say for certain, but I'm just speaking here, most likely, a person who has just come to know Jesus. This is a person who, who has just come to hear the message, to actually follow it, believe it, or listen to it, and, and get so encouraged by it that they just say, all right, I'm ready to go. But Jesus knows better. He knows that they're not prepared. He knows that they're, they're not ready for what they'll have to face which is why Jesus begins in verse 58 with a warning that tells them you really need to think about this before you choose to do it. But now we see in 59 that Jesus changes subjects a little bit. This person Jesus goes to directly, just like he did Peter, James, John, Andrew, Simon the Zealot, Jude, Judas Iscariot, Bartholomew, all of these guys, Jesus directly chose and this guy in verse number 59, Jesus has directly chosen because this is someone that has been a disciple of Jesus. Not a brand new disciple, but one who has been a disciple of Jesus. One who has regularly been there with Jesus. And so here and again, Jesus spoke to him in a different light because he went to this man and said, follow me. But... Uh, that three-letter word that always gets involved when something negative is about to happen, majoritively speaking. But, the man said that Jesus told the following, Allow me first to go and bury my father. In other words, my dad's still alive, but he won't be alive for many more years, and I'm trying to spend as much time as possible with him to be able to enjoy his fellowship, so when my father's dead, then I will come serve you. Or, uh, Lord, I know you've called me into the ministry. I realize that, that your calling is sure and your election is true, but I, I first need to finish off the secular employment that I have in order to be able to build a retirement base so that when I am old, I won't have to worry about money. And then after I'm old, I can serve you. 
but first I've got to take care of me and mine. I, I can't obey you. Or uh, there are so many parallels to this young man saying, let me first go to bury my father. You know, we tell Jesus all the time, well, I would love to, to serve you as a teacher, but first let me, uh, you know, finish raising my children and going to all their ball games and doing all of this other stuff instead of raising them up in church. Uh, well, I would love to be a part of the ministry, Lord, but first I need to go take care of this. First, I want to go there. First, I need this vacation. First, I need to, I, 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 me, my, I. Yes. So the very teaching of Jesus to this point of all of the excuses that you might throw up in the Lord's face to keep from actually doing what you know he wants you to do is let the dead bury their dead. In other words, uh, no, I'm not coming second place to your father. I'm not coming second place to your work or your retirement. I'm not coming second place to money. I'm not coming second place to school systems and sports. I'm not coming second place to anything. Either God will be your only, or you're just never going to serve him. You're just not going to serve him. It's just that simple because there's always going to be something that challenges your service to the Lord. There's always going to be something that raises up and, and takes precedence in your life before serving the Lord. It's always going to exist unless serving the Lord is your life. You will always find something more to do or different to do or better to do in your own estimation than actually serve God. And so he tells this man, let the dead bury the dead. Let let the world have its sports. Let the world have its its after school curriculum activities and all of that. Let let the world uh, have have itself. Let you if if you truly believe you are a Christian and you truly believe you want to serve Jesus, then you truly got to act on that belief and you got to serve God, or you never or you will never serve God. And it's that simple. Let the dead bury the dead. But you, you go do what I told you to do. You go preach the kingdom. Don't ask Jesus to use you. Don't ask Jesus to use your life. And then when he calls you or puts a burden on your heart, you reject him and say, no, I, I got better things to do right now. Don't, don't even bother doing that. Because if a person makes a vow to God, as is revealed in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, if a person makes a vow to God and then defers to pay that vow, it was better for them that they'd never made a vow at all because the, the promises that you make to God will be held and they'll be, they'll be held against you if you re reject a promise. It's just the way God works, guys. It's important to know your father. Whereas we break our promises all the time and people just say, oh, don't worry about it. it ultimately, even we expect that our promises were going to be broken you make a promise to God, He upholds that promise in His righteousness, and He keeps you. He keeps you. And you better, you better, you better think about it. And so it comes down to this third person who hears what is being said to the second person. Jesus said, Follow me. And this third person in verse number 61 said, Lord, I will, a uh, future tense, by the way, I will, uh, not I'm going to, as in present tense or I have, as in I've been serving you a while. But he said, I will follow you, but first, 
Now, this is the concept of things in, in a list, right? First, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. Now, understand, if Jesus, people often say this, well, God is first in my life. The truth is, is that's a lie. If, if God has a placement among other potential things as being first, then he'll often find himself like this young man in verse number 61, being fifth or sixth. Uh, he has to be the only in your life. He can't be in a list of one, two, three, four. He has to be above that list as the only. It's the only place that he can be. Whereas the first thing I would do is pray, or the first thing I would do is, is read my Bible, or the first thing I would do would be to, to attend church. Then the second thing I would do would be read my Bible. Then the third thing I would do would be pray, or the fourth thing I would do would be evangelize. The fifth now, those things can come into a list because all of those things are exactly what your only would command of you. And as he chooses to manipulate your list to make one thing first above another thing so that he could use you in the service, that's God's prerogative in Christ Jesus. But if Jesus is ever upon a list, then he'll always be last. And I'll show you that with this verse. In 61, this young man, he says, Lord, I will follow you. I want you to be my only, but first. Now, if I tell you I'm going to follow you, then that would mean ultimately that you were first in my life, right? Well, wrong. Because at this point, this young man says, but first let me go bid them at home farewell, which means, Jesus, you're not the top of my list. The, the people in my home are the top of my list. You're somewhere near the bottom of my list. And so it's more important for me after hearing you teach about coming to be with you, it's more important to me to actually go and, and be back with my family than it is to actually follow you. So before I leave all that I loved behind to follow you, then let me go back and hang out with them a little bit more. Let me go to those which are at my house and bid them farewell, as if it was a grudge to have to serve God. And Jesus said to this guy, don't even bother. Don't serve me. Don't bother coming back. And the reason why is anyone putting his hand to the plow, anyone committing themselves to serve the Lord, but then looking back like what happened to Lot's wife as she looked back on Sodom and Gomorrah? What happened to so many others as they looked back on, on their walk with God? Anyone putting their hand in the plow and looking back is, is not fit for the kingdom of God. Don't have a place there. Don't belong there. This is not a kingdom that you can look back to go, to go backwards. You know, this isn't a kingdom that you commit yourself to begin following and then, and then turn your heart away from it. And that's why Paul was so angry with, with John Mark. If you recall, Paul, when it came to a second missionary journey, he adamantly denied going on that journey with Mark because Mark had separated himself from the company of Paul and Barnabas when their first missionary journey, about six months into that journey, he gave up and he left. Well, Jesus and Paul believe this with every fiber of his heart, and I guess it's why people don't like him is because he's Paul was was steadfast to follow Jesus. He had spent a life persecuting Jesus and the things of God, and then he, he got 
Christ and he received salvation and realized the error of his direction and way and he, he didn't want to turn back again. He didn't want anybody else to turn back. And so he was so against Mark for the longest time because Mark put his hand to the plow but then looked back. And so in Paul's estimation, as Jesus said here in 62, Mark wasn't fit to be a servant in the kingdom of God. So he wasn't going to take him with him. Amen. Well, guys, question, are you fit for service in the kingdom of God? Or are you looking back? For there is nothing behind you that can satisfy what lies before you. So if you're looking back for a longing of the satisfaction of your, your past, you'll never see Jesus in your present. And your future doesn't exist in the Lord. Not fit for the kingdom. But if you remember the past and the dangers of it, and you live in the present to serve Jesus, your future's bright, knowing that the end of your faith is the salvation of your soul and a crown that will be bestowed by the king himself for one of his sons or daughters. Father, we thank you and praise you. Asking your blessing upon this day, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of this van and the opportunity, Father, to be able to share the scriptures by it. We thank you, Lord, that, that nothing can stop us from continuing our daily walk through the journey of the Bible and pray that you will bless these teachings, Lord. You will bless the scripture to the souls of those who receive it today. We ask you, Father, for the opportunity to share this through the whole world and ask that you will, your word would not return to you void but that you will have an effectual work done in this day through every heart who receives this precious message from the gospel in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, God bless you guys and keep you guys and cause his face to shine upon you. And I shall see you tomorrow, very possibly again, right here in the van. Until then, we'll see what takes place. Take care.